0: Um, Romans chapter 13 verses 8 through 10 it reads, O no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves another hath fulfilled the law.
1: For this,
0: thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for revealing your word to us, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord. And just pray this morning as I I seek to expound your word to your people, Lord, that you would give me the words to speak, that you would give. Us ears of wisdom and understanding just pray that your name is glorified in this time, Father, in the name of Christ. Amen. So let's do a little um, review here and a little flyover kind of you could almost bro- broken down Romans as chapters one through 12 uh, 1 through 11 as we've seen, is Paul's doctrinal portion of the book of Romans. He's teaching doctrine from chapter 1 to chapter 11. And we've, we, we march through all that stuff. Um, we see justification by faith alone. We've seen election. We've seen reprobation. We've seen uh, eternal security. We've seen all these things. And then when he gets to Romans chapter 12, Paul Kind of changes gears and goes into, he says, and I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, by Romans chapters 1 through 11, if you believe Romans chapter 1 through 11, he says, by the mercies of God, to then present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. He says, that's your, the most logical response to saying, I believe Romans chapter 1 through 11, is the fact that you're laying down your life for Him. And he, he goes in to display us how we're, we're supposed to do this. If you remember when we were in Romans chapter 12, he kind of goes through how you should use your gifts and talents and lay those down for your brethren within the church. And then he also deals with how you should react to somebody when somebody's persecuting you. And now we, he goes into chapter 13 right here, and he start, and then he tells us to be obedient to the government. And that's something maybe some of us in here struggle with myself included but that's what God's commanded for his people and then we come to this portion here in Romans 8 through 10 where he tells us to love them so my three points today they're pretty easy is love for neighbor love for God and love fulfills the law so the first point here is love for neighbor and this here though it's almost a change in focus from what Paul was just saying to us, but it still ties into it. He commands us to obey the government and to, and I quote, render therefore to all their dues. So remember, I brought out, it it was talking about paying taxes. You're supposed to pay taxes. So that's rendering therefore to all their dues. Then he follows that. The very next... Sentence is, owe no man anything, but to love one another. So, render to them what the, what is due to them, and owe no man anything, but to love one another. So, Paul follows a very specific command with a, more of a general one. The specific one is to obey the government and to pay, the, pay them, and pay for them. The general one is to owe no man anything. But the general commandment applies to the specific one as well. As well so don't owe the government but we are to love them yeah that's how I feel too (laughs) now this command may be hard to follow as we've seen in chapter 13 but it's a command by God to his people if God commands it we're to obey it but to answer what loving them would look like we must not make up our own definition of love either Biblical love is not simply feelings. It's not that I have butterflies in my stomach for them. It's not that I just think happy thoughts about them. Love in the Bible is an action word, it's a verb. It's not something that describes how you feel, but how you act. So to submit to them and to obey them is to love them. Even if I don't agree with their philosophy or theology. God calls us to submit and obey and in doing so we are loving them. Now of course I brought this out very clearly last week. That disobedience to them is not just something that we blindly do no matter what they say. It's obedience to the higher power. And since God is the highest power, it's obedience to Him first. So if they command something that by doing it you would be disobedient to God, you do not obey that. And we saw the pictures of that. Remember, they told him, don't preach Christ. (laughs) And Peter's like, should we obey you or should we obey God? You judge. We have to talk about Christ. You can arrest me, you can persecute me, you can kill me, but I'm still going to talk about Christ because I'm commanded to do so. And nothing that you do will stop me from doing so. And why do we act like that? Well, for the same reason, because we love God. And our love for God should be supreme to our love for man. So if I love God, I'll obey Him first. And if He tells me to obey somebody else and love them, I should do it, right? So our obedience flows out of our love of God first and foremost, like Jesus said, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. And this is one of them, to owe nothing to anyone except to love them. And what wisdom is found in that statement, right? To owe no man anything but to love them. Imagine if we all lived like that. Now some take this owe no man anything to to mean that you can't have any debt at all. You can never have any debt in your whole life. No home loans, no car loans, nothing. And I think there's wisdom behind that. And I wouldn't argue so much with somebody that, I'd actually promote somebody that wanted to live like that. But what we can see in the scriptures, though, is is this concept. It's the wicked that borrows and does not pay back. The idea, I believe, is that if you borrow, you pay it back to not spend that which is owed to another. And I think that upholds the context right here because he was just speaking about paying taxes. So it would be, if you owe taxes, pay them. Don't be running from them. It is good and right to make sure that we owe no man anything. And we know this practically too, right? This is why, personally, I've never been one to lend people money because I don't want to have hard feelings towards someone if they borrowed it and can't pay it back. If I can't freely give you the money without a thought of you having to pay it back, I just can't do it. I'm sure you know the feeling of somebody owing you or when you owe somebody else. When you owe somebody else, you're almost sheepish around them, right? You can't love them the way that you're supposed to be loving them because you're you're kind of timid around them. And when they owe you, you could end up getting angry about it. And that anger can sometimes turn to hatred. So the best practice is to owe no man anything. Because when you owe them, it's hard to love them rightly. And what's the greatest command we have towards one another? to love them. And that is a debt that will never be discharged. We are always in debt to love. We can't say, "Well, I loved them this one time and now I don't need to anymore." Or, "I loved them before and they didn't love me back, so therefore now they owe me love before I can love them back." That's the, that's not how the word of God commands us this is a payment that needs to be continually made it is never satisfied love should always be coming from us and not only if they're likable or lovable people either right that's the easy ones this person's so lovable well, everybody loves this person it's not only talking about the people that everybody loves remember Paul was just talking about governing officials right before this. And he says to love one another and we have to admit that governing officials probably have been some of the most hated people on earth and sometimes rightfully so there's always a group that hates the government no matter how good the government is there's always going to be a group that hates them yet paul is saying we're indebted in love to them but not just the government but to everyone not just your brother and sister in Christ, which is obvious, but also for those that hate you and persecute you, as we just saw at the close of chapter 12. Remember, he says, Bless them that curse you. Bless them. We owe love to everyone. And like I said, it's not just warm, fuzzy feelings, but it's action. We should seek what is best for people and do our best to meet their needs. This is loving. And of course, we have the end in mind of the advancement of God's kingdom because we love Him supremely, right? And we desire to see more people worshiping and serving Him to the glory of His name since that is the chief end of man, right? So Paul is saying very clearly that the debt we owe to all men is to love them. But that love flows from our love for God. Though not explicitly in our text here, I think it's definitely implied since we can't love without God. Let's see this. That's the second point. Love for God. Loving your neighbor is good and well, right? However, nobody can love their neighbor correctly if they don't love God. He said, that sounds radical. Well, we're going to see it. This is obviously assumed in our text since Paul is writing and addressing believers. This is not necessarily a command to the world, though the world should also obey this or be found guilty. Paul's direct audience is the people of God. And Paul knows that this command to love your neighbor is impossible without loving God first. We can see this like the Apostle Paul brings up here, similar to the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, right? He mentions in verse 9, he says, For this, that thou, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 9 is the second tablet of the, the law that which pertains to how we should act towards our fellow human being. However, the first tablet is how we should act towards God. And without the first tablet of the law, you can by no means obey the second tablet of the law. Or to put it like this, without knowing and loving God, you will continue in sin against your neighbor. And if you're like, I can love my neighbor without loving God. Let's see some scripture. Let's turn to First, first John chapter 4. First John 4 and verse 7. It says... Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. So in order to love, according to John, the Apostle John, in order to love, one must be born of God and know God. Well, what could this be talking about, being born of God and knowing God? Well, to take the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, Jesus says that to enter into the kingdom, He actually says even in order to see the kingdom of God, one must be born again. And what that literally means is one must be born from above. You can't make yourself born again. The Spirit comes down and, and you're born from above. It's talking about the spiritual birth. So when the the, the Holy Spirit comes, this is what it's talking about, when the Holy Spirit comes and makes one spiritually alive. See, because of the sin of Adam, if we go all the way back to the garden, all the way back to the beginning, the sin of Adam, because of that sin, we all come into this world spiritually dead. And as one who is spiritually dead, we love ourselves. We don't love our neighbors rightly. And we most certainly don't love God. So there must be something that takes place, and that something is that God makes you alive. We were talking before the service, and it just it had me thinking of when you know God made me alive, and how how much of a blessing it is that I you know being a drunk, drug addict, pagan, and God made me alive. And I, y'all can probably all say pretty close to the same thing. Chasing after the, the world and all, all of its fleeting pleasures, and then one day God makes you alive. It wasn't as though I was like, on this day I'm going to be made alive. God just did it. He must give you spiritual life. And when you are born of God, you can love God and love your neighbor. But it also says those that are born of God and know God. So, once again, Jesus in John 17 tells us what this means. It says, and this is life eternal that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. The way one knows God is through the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the only way one knows God. There aren't many ways to God. Not all religions teach something true about God. There's only one God and one mediator between God and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's it. So if you're born of the Spirit and know God through our Lord Jesus Christ, you can love your neighbor. But doesn't the world tell us that we must love ourselves in order to love others? And that's that's the gospel they preach, is it not? You need to to learn how to love yourself before you can learn how to love somebody else. Well, turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 29. Now, this is a beautiful portion of Scripture here talking about how husbands and wives should relate to one another. But look at verse 29. It's talking about how the husband should lay down his life for his wife. It says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. Listen to Matthew Henry, what he says on this. No man in his right senses ever hated himself however deformed or whatever his imperfections might be so far from it that he nourishes and cherishes it he uses himself and a great deal of care and tenderness and it and is industrious to supply himself with everything convenient or good for him with food and clothing and etc. In other words, you don't hate yourself. Your problem is you love yourself too much. That's our problem. It's not that we don't love ourselves as the world says. Our problem is that we love ourselves so much, therefore we don't love others rightly. It says no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. That's the world's problem. It's not a lack of love for self, but it's the supreme love of self. And when God finally breaks up a stony heart and grants faith and repentance to someone, then they turn to love God and love their neighbor. Which as it says, is the fulfillment of the law, which is our third point here. Love fulfills the law. I'm gonna go back here to Romans. and reread this It says oh no man anything but to love one another for he that loves another hath fulfilled the law for this thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not kill thou shalt not steal thou shalt not bear false witness thou shalt not covet and if there be any other commandment it is briefly comprehended in this saying namely thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. For he that loves one another hath fulfilled the law. Why? Because love works no ill to his neighbor. You see that? This is why. Even though we have, and it's been counted, I don't know the exact number, but over a thousand commands in the New Testament. I say, and I believe, and I think, all of us will probably agree that we really only have two. And in case you think I'm wrong, let's turn back to actually Matthew 24 or Matthew 22. Matthew 22:36. says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So in other words, all the commandments in the Bible can be summed up like this. Love God, love your neighbor. If I'm loving my neighbor correctly, I won't desire to sin against him. If I'm loving God correctly, I won't desire to sin against him. Our problem is that we don't do this, though. Even as believers. Who in here loves God with all their heart, soul, and mind? If you say, I do, then why do you sin against him? If you're loving God perfectly with your mind, then why does your mind go to sinful things? If you're loving God perfectly with your heart, then why are you loving something more than Him at times? You see, we aren't doing this. We sing, I surrender all, and lie to God, because we're not doing that. We don't sing that here, brother. We say how much we love God while we sin against our neighbor. Brethren, we literally have two commands and we fail at them. And sometimes miserably, right? And the commandments are good things. It's actually good to, to, to love. What greater thing could we be called to? It's not like God is calling us. He doesn't say in, in, in a book you need to run a marathon with a ball and chain wrapped around your ankle. He's not calling us to do some crazy stuff like that. He's calling us to love one another. The very best thing we could be called to and take part in. Remember it says in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, But now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. It's a great thing to be able to love. It's a blessing that we have in this, and yet we still miss that mark. We still fail. Yes, he who loves fulfills the law, and yes, we do this as Christians, but we also don't do this at times as Christians. So we don't fulfill the law perfectly. So what's the answer for that? John tells us, he says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That fact that you sin means that you're not righteous. Righteous. However, as believers, we have an advocate. This means one who pleads another's calls before a judge. It, it could be a defense attorney, if you will. He stands in your place. Ours is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He stands in our place. He is our substitute. He is what is called our surety. Yes, we fail in loving God and loving our neighbor. Yes, we do love God and our neighbor, and off, but oftentimes we still do fail at it. And Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came down from heaven. He condescended from the glory which He had with His Father before the world was to a babe in a manger. And He took on flesh and He dwelt among us. And in his earthly ministry, he perfectly loved God and his neighbor. There was never a time that he didn't. And in this, he fulfilled the law for his people. He, like Adam, stood as our federal head. He stood in our place representing us. When he fulfilled the law, we fulfilled the law. Now, I'm speaking to Christians, in case you're confused. But just as when Adam broke the law, we broke the law. When he fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the law. He didn't only fulfill the law as a substitute for us. That wasn't the only thing he did when he, when he kept the law. But then he went to a Roman cross and died as a substitute for us and for our sins. He died for the fact that you don't love God and love your neighbor like you're supposed to. He paid for those sins with his blood. And he rose from the grave, defeating death and guaranteeing you that your bodies will also be raised from the grave in the resurrection. And now he stands as our advocate for when we sin. He's in our place, he's interceding for us. He is our mediator, and he is the only mediator. So, yes, we are called to love one another. And yes, when we do, we have fulfilled the law of God. However, when we don't, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. He took them away. He appeased the wrath of God that would be against us for not loving our God or our neighbor. And that's what we live in response to. We love God and our neighbors because God loves us who are all unworthy of love. God doesn't just love the lovable ones, does he? Or he would love none of us. He loved those that hated him. And when we are loving our neighbors, we won't be committing adultery. We won't be killing them. We won't be stealing from them. We won't be bearing false witness against them or coveting their things. And if there any, be any other commandment, we will be obeying that too, right? Because we love God, we know God, and we are born of God. Let's move into our application here. Our call, call to faith and repentance. As always, I have a, this is for the unbeliever that sits in here. If there be anybody that sits in here and does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not been born of God, no amount of loving your neighbor, which you don't really do anyways, will fulfill the law for you. You have broken the laws of God and by that you stand condemned. And no amount of good works can free you from this condemnation. You can't look at your neighbor and judge yourself based on them. You can't look back in history and say, "Well, I'm not—at least I'm not Adolf Hitler or Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden." And maybe you've sinned more than them. Theirs was just very public. God looks at perfection and judges based on that. Unless you sit here perfect perfect today, you will be condemned. You say, well, Jeremy, I know you're not perfect. You got that right. But God sees me as perfect. Why, you ask. Well, thank you for asking that. Well, it's in spite of me. It's not that I'm so good that God sees me as perfect. It's the fact that the good and perfect works that Jesus did in his life are accredited to me. That's why when we, when we say just, just, justification by faith alone, I stand just before God because he, he has credited the good works of Christ into my account. And he sees me as righteous. It's the fact that the Son stood in my place on Calvary's cross. And His blood was shed for my sins. It's the fact that when then Jesus rose from the grave, as it says in Romans chapter 4, for my justification and ascended to the Father's right hand where He's making intercession for me. So when God sees me, He sees the perfection of His Son that has been accredited to me by faith. And that's your calling this morning, if you don't know him. Not to love your neighbor better, but to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to know God through Jesus Christ, and then you'll be able to love your neighbor correctly. So look to Christ this morning and repent of your sins. Now let's come to the believers in here. One of the main things a believer must do in his life and really never gets past, never, you, ne- you never get past it, is to keep looking to the gospel. You keep preaching the gospel to yourself. You can have, if you will, gospel colored glasses. You may be like, well, I-, I believed the gospel 10 years ago, so I don't really pay attention to that anymore. Well, I don't think a believer truly feels that way. But the fact is that even as believers, we continually look at the gospel and believe it. That's what we're here for. If you thought you came here so we can just sing some songs and and jump around and do it, you're here for the wrong reason. We're here to sing the gospel. We're here to hear the gospel preached. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we see the gospel pictured. And our fellowship with one another is in the gospel. We don't move past it. It's a daily reminder that our sins are taken away and we have been made accepted in the beloved. So that's where our minds should be fixed at. And when our minds are there, then loving our neighbor isn't too difficult, is it? When I look upon Jesus correctly, I then look upon my neighbor correctly. When I see that He took my sins away and nailed them to His cross and He gave me a perfect righteousness and He counts me as His child and that I can now stand just before God, what flows out of me is love. Love for God and neighbor. That's what the Gospel produces. So our call as believers is never to move past the gospel, but to dig in more to the gospel, to constantly be reminded of it, to keep it at the forefront of our thoughts, and then these actions of loving our neighbor will flow from that. So let's ask believers, have this constantly before our eyes of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And repent of those times when we didn't love our neighbor as we should. And our last point here is our call to war. Now obviously part of our battle as Christians is to keep our minds fixed upon Christ, as was just mentioned. But I want to bring this out from the text. We are called to love our neighbor. And as I mentioned in the doctrinal portion, this doesn't mean to have warm, fuzzy feelings about them. Though that might happen. I get it with my wife. (laughs) Um, She's way up there at the top, I can barely see her. Loving someone is not necessarily how you feel about them, but what you do for them. Loving them is not simply about what you don't do to them either, right? Like verse verse 9 says thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do this. It's not simply about not doing those things, even though that is included. We can say the flip side of those commands are also true if we are loving them. You should not commit adultery, but you should do things that promote a healthy and loving marriage. You should not kill But you should do things that promote life and well-being. You should give instead of steal. You should not bear false witness, but speak words of encouragement, comfort, and edification to and about them. You should not covet, but praise God that they have what they have. This is loving our neighbor. And each of us in here can probably look in the mirror and say we can do this better. Every single one of us. That we have work to do. John tells us in 1 John 3, he says, he teaches us that when we perceive the love of God, in that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So it's looking upon the love of God and realizing that it wasn't just God having warm, fuzzy feelings about me. It was the fact that he sent forth his son to die in my place. He laid down his life for me. Therefore, I ought to lay down my life for the brethren. It's to lay down our lives. Now, this isn't just a one-time act, right? It's your life. This is part of our battle, part of the war we fight. It's giving up more of ourselves for the betterment of others. And this doesn't only mean taking care of their physical needs, though that is included. This means, I believe, first and foremost, that we preach the gospel to people. We don't forsake caring for their physical needs, but we desire their spiritual need to be taken care of more. So we desire the whole of man to be taken care of. Is this not what we're called to do? I mean, if love God and love your neighbor could be summed up, it would be love God by worshiping and serving Him and loving your neighbor by taking care of them physically and spiritually. That's our call here. And we ought to do that to the best of our ability. And as we are doing that we're fulfilling the great commission which is our mission right if there was a mission statement for our church which I don't know if we'd ever need one because it would be just simply the words of the Lord Jesus Christ go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature that's our mission that's every church's mission there should never be a mission statement that that goes further than that, or or takes away from that. We're all to be doing that. That's our mission as Christians, is to go forth with the gospel message into the world and preach it. That's what we're here for. And I pray we come together more in doing this. This is the most loving thing that we could do for our neighbor, is giving them the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. If you're in here today and you're a Christian, You say, well, I don't know that that life-giving message. Well, then you're not a Christian. Because in order to be a Christian, you must know and believe that message. And if you know and believe that message, you can take that message to somebody else. Is it scary sometimes? You bet you. A five-year-old could walk up to me. I'm a big guy, and I'll get nervous trying to talk to him about the gospel sometimes. And what's he going to do to me? But it's the most loving thing that we can do. So let's love our neighbors and lay down our lives for others for the advancement of God's kingdom and the glory of His name. Amen.